Welcome to What Do You Think I'm Al? And I'm C. C, let me ask yes, you something. Al. Let me ask you something. No. How hard is it to be a black man in America? You know, I wouldn't know. I would actually just not know. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> you're just going to be like, you're going to be like, no comment. Well, no, no, not no comment. It's that, you know, I don't know because I'm not a black man in America. Al, are you a black man in America? No comment. Okay, okay, okay. Wait a minute. Uh, folks, Wait a minute. Um, no, like I, I actually do want to want to say something, and that is that there is something to be said that for the longest time there were like cinema could be a bit segregated i think would you oh, agree with more that than a, depending on the era more than a bit <laughs> yeah you you agree. you essentially had you had the industry where um there would the, you would have an industry where there would be studios producers uh that would make films uh with black crew black cast for a primarily black audience mm-hmm. um i mean that that's no secret that was kind of what made uh tyler perry his first billions uh, it came to the consciousness with black exploitation in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, this 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 just was kind of reality was that like, you know, I mean, th- what was the joke? Like every season you would have like every Christmas season, there would always be the quote unquote black Christmas movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Or the quote unquote black family drama. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the quote unquote black comedy. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw this as even as late as into the late 2010s. Yeah, it was it was always a thing. Um, yeah. And was, uh, yeah. Uh, not just not just cinema, but just media in general could be a bit a bit segregated. Obviously, you had crossover, and yeah. the the actors that crossed over were famous because it was like, oh, they, they these appeal to uh, a non-black audience, Denzel. But then Will that became. Smith. But then we've later learned that became a very. Uh, that's a that's a delicate term to say. Exactly. Oh, this, yeah, like that's. Hold on, what do you? Yeah, that's a delicate. Exactly. Term too. Now, now listen, I'm not gonna lie. There are some black exploitation films that are kick ass. I showed you one that you fell in love with. Oh uh, my god, yes! Co- Cotton comes to Harlem. Oh my Cotton god! Cotton comes to Harlem, that, and obviously everyone amazing. knows Shaft. Oh yeah, uh, Shaft. But oh my god, Cotton comes to Harlem was so fucking good. Fuck, uh, folks, if you haven't seen that, check it out immediately. Find a way to legally watch it because it is, it's not only like really just edge of your seat fun, but it's funny and not like at times it's unintentionally funny but it's also at times intentionally funny the script is good it's really funny yeah yeah it's quite quite good um but anyway i would say you know during the obama presidency uh in a little immediately after the end of the obama presidency black american black media music cinema television eventually got a new new set of eyes and that was of the sort of affluent uh suburban moderately liberal white american mm. the the end your average npr listener <laughs> the, the 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 person who would say if I, I could, I'd out. vote for Obama for a third term. Which is one of the best lines in Get Out for the record. That is such right, a right, funny fucking yeah, line. Yeah, and here's the thing. Um, that new audience came with challenges. Uh, they seemed to really, really take to 
a genre that I can't take credit for this. There's a there's a film review podcast out there, uh, Double Toasted. Oh, I love Double Toasted. Where so... uh, Corey Coleman calls these types of movies struggle movies, where mm-hmm. it's about they're usually the topic is about the sometimes horrific struggle of the black American in American history or in contemporary America. We're talking about struggle movies about like uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, Malcolm X, uh, 12 Years a Slave. Basically, a movie that presents just how hard it is to be black in America. Before that, it was a lot of ghetto or gang struggle movies. Yeah, yeah. They used to be called called hood movies. Or or a subgenre of the struggle film was the hood movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boys in the Hood. Uh, uh, Menace to Society. Menace to Society, which to me is which is great. No, it? that that's a great, great, movie. great movie. Oh my god, um, <laughs> so, that one's intense. So, but, but you know, but before in the nineties, you know, I these, watched that on your recommendation, by the way. Yeah, these struggle films were for primarily a Black American audience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when when white America set their sights on Black entertainment, Black media. They were kind of clamoring, we want to see this stuff because we want to go through our struggle sessions, right? For a myriad of reasons. They wanted to educate themselves on the true history of black America, or they just wanted reassurances that they sucked. We're not going to get into the politics of that, but suffice no. to say, suffice to say, the, uh, the, the incentive was there because those types of movies were make those types of movies, those types of TV shows, those types of books, those types of were making money. They were making money, right? They were making money, and an interesting, an interesting debate appeared throughout, uh, you know, throughout kind of the creative sphere, but especially the creative sphere of of black creators was like, why are we expected to make this kind of content? What if we just don't want to? Right. What if what if we just straight up don't want to make a content that has something to say about racism in America or, or race in America? Mm-hmm. Why, 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 why do we have to? And that. Debate, why is it on us to, to yeah, do this? Why is it on us? Right. Uh, and that debate is very fraught. That's a debate that's still ongoing. Um, my, again, Corey Coleman from Double Toasted. He has a position that really and truly that black creators are sometimes stymied into this little niche. And like when they want to make something that isn't that, it's like so refreshing. In fact, a film that he championed that I really, really liked uh, was one with Lakeith Stanfield and Issa Rae. Uh, what was it called? Um, I forgot the name of oh, it. Oh, the, uh, the the Photograph. The Photograph, right? Great, really good movie. Really good movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, bl- Lakeith said it's what... It's one of the most it's one of the things he's most proud to be in. He's admitted so that. So it's spearheaded by black creatives, uh, a majority black cast, and it's basically a love story. It's basically a romance, and that's all it is. It's just a romance. It has. And there was only one other movie quite like it years ago, and it got no attention. Love so, Jones. Yes, which is a really good movie too. Yeah. Record. So so Corey Coldman champions this this push that like, Hey, we don't just want to make like struggle films or hood films. We, we, or films that have to deal with race. We, we want to do other stuff too, because we're, we, we have complex lives too. Our lives do not just revolve around this. Uh, but you know, there's another side to that argument that says that, you know, that we shouldn't shy away from these topics, that these topics are very important to confront. Um, I'm not going to put, cause I, 
don't personally know people who make that argument. I know it's there, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not going to like attribute that argument to anyone that I'm not absolutely sure. Like Gordon mm -hmm. Coleman has talked about it enough that I'm like, okay, that's his position. Mm -hmm. um, but this is a debate that's being had. And this film we're talking about today, American fiction, is basically one part Corey Coleman's argument of a film that's just about that film that doesn't have to deal with that because black Americans are complex people. They live their lives that aren't about that. So the film is one half, just a simple family dramedy about grief and about moving on and about making peace with kind of how fucked up your family is. And then the other half mm -hmm. is basically taking that debate and being like, let's make fun of this. Mm -hmm. And, that is oh ambitious. Yeah. That is ambitious. Especially if you're a first-time writer-director. Then it's like, Jesus Christ, you're... First-time writer? He was a first-time writer? Or writer-director. Like, oh, writer and director. I got yeah. you. Sorry. Gotcha. And we're talking about Cord Jefferson. Uh, this is a guy who is kind of has Ryan Johnson as his mentor. Uh, and he took it upon himself to... Uh, adapt the novel. Uh, who wrote the novel again? I do um, not know. I do not know. Uh, the, the novel was written, I believe, in the very early 90s. Like, uh, really? Yeah. Um, uh, no, no, not. Oh, I'm sorry. This the novel was written, was written like in 2001. Oh, 2001. Okay. Yeah. Uh, by Percival Everett. Uh, okay. So imagine taking this novel called Erasure. And being like, it's dealing with very weighty themes. Because this, this has been a debate that's been going on for years. And it's like, okay, I got to make a, I gotta make a tough, biting satire on kind of this phenomenon of where black creatives are kind of pigeonholed into just making this specific type of story. But I also want to tell a very, very sweet and intimate dramedy about a family that has its own fuck-ups but that learns that they, they're always better together. Mm -hmm. And you would think, oh, that's not going to work. Choose, choose a lane, dude. Choose a lane. Uh, does it work? Who knows? Who, who, who the fuck knows? Uh, we'll talk about that after we watch the trailer. But, uh, but see, I just kind of wanted to get your, like, listen, I know it's a very, very, like, taunt and very, very serious topic. Sure, but, sure. But kind of, like, what's been your take on because again neither of us are black yeah but what's been your take of there's always been this idea that oh we should pigeonhole you to make this kind of movie because oh it's an important movie to make these are important stories to tell when you're like dude i, I just want to make a horror movie or dude i just want to i just want to make a comedy like like mm -hmm. what's kind of your been your take on that on that uh debate if you have one i i i so I acknowledge that I'm still learning on this area um, because I remember in, so, you know, growing up, my dad and I watched a lot of movies together and obviously, you know, my exposure to black cinema or black actors, um, I think the, the earliest memory I have of like a famous black actor is probably Will Smith. I think for me, or at least someone that I, I acknowledged as famous and cool. Um, 
obviously, you know, with Men in Black and, of course, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's who I sort of tied in with that. Um, and it wasn't until later on, I want to say somewhere in middle school, I learned who Tyler Perry was. But I quickly understood that, you know, oh, these are movies not really meant for me or that's how it was explained to me. And I sort of just let that be. I didn't really, I was a kid. I didn't explore that further. Um, but I guess what I, sort of what took me a while to realize was, oh, wow. Uh, if it's not Denzel, it's Will Smith cast in everything. And I think I didn't know that till like very early high school where like very subconsciously I was like, oh, it's always them. Or, you know, you know, James Earl Jones, if they needed someone older or something. Or and if they needed few... someone funny, it was either Eddie Murphy or Chris Rock. Exactly. Eddie yeah, Murphy exactly. more often than not. Yeah, Eddie Murphy more often than not. Um, especially for something family related. But like I like it wasn't until high school where I realized, like, oh, that's interesting. They like it's always the, these these like three to five people, if that. And really, it's two of them a lot. And then you get the others sometimes. Or really three of them a lot. But I didn't really put two and two together for a while. I kind of was still like in the phase of trying to catch up with all these different directors I was trying to watch. Uh, but I was like, okay, oh yeah, and Samuel L. Jackson too. He was like cropping up more and more. But he too. would always be like, the he same would always kind be of the supporting role, right? Yeah, he was he always was like, never a lead. Yeah, he was, I mean, he'd be a lead sometimes, but he was always a supporting role. Yes. So it wasn't until like high school I noticed that. And then in college, I'm like, oh, maybe that's not like, not maybe. Like, that's not, that's not okay. Maybe like, let me, you know, let me, let me ask you something. Yeah. So, or, or let me, let me, let me preface my I'll question. I'll also, also mention this. It's when I realized, wait, why am I always thinking certain black actors are being miscast? Why am I thinking that a lot? And then I'm like, oh, I think I know why I'm thinking that. But so what were you going to ask me? I am very, very blessed that two of my closest, bestest, best friends happen, happen to be black Americans. Mm -hmm. And when I would go to their houses, they would expose me. They would show, because they knew I loved movies. They would show me films from, from black filmmakers that necessarily weren't part of the quote unquote like mainline Hollywood films. Like again, we had we had a we had a, a crossover uh with with Sp Spike Lee, right? Spike mm -hmm. Lee was yeah. kind of embarrassingly was like that one black filmmaker that White was known know to to most main or mainstream audiences. Yeah. But again, there was there was a smaller industry film industry led by led by black filmmakers uh, usually these filmmakers were guys who did guys or women that did uh, 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 music videos early on in their career and wanted to make a movie, you know, like the Hughes brothers uh, or uh, the or uh, the, the John Singleton. Right. Mm -hmm. These were filmmakers that my friends would introduce me to their films like Baby Boy, uh, like uh, Menace to Society. Uh, oh, like dead presidents, like dead presidents, romances like Love Jones, or mm -hmm. they would introduce me to all these films that you know happened happened to have black cast were created by black filmmakers. So they would introduce me to these, and something I noticed growing up was like, wow, this guy's a really really good actor, or wow, she's a really really great actress. How come I don't see them in like mainstream Hollywood movies? Mm. 
Like, like, no, you would never would. Like, maybe really? sometimes, but but rarely, like, rarely, right? Put it they to were you this maybe way. on a Law and Order episode or two. Put put it to you this way. This this is the best example I can give to kind of this phenomenon. So Tyler Perry eventually rose up and became like the king of like of like the the black film industry, right? He became the king, right? In 2007, he came out with a movie called Daddy's Little Girls that did gangbusters, made a ton of money. You wouldn't know it because, again, it made gangbusters amongst black audiences, right? But in that movie, the lead was played by this British actor who I didn't even know was British at the time. He was on a TV show at the time, and he had such charisma. He had incredible charisma. And I remember watching him going like, man, this guy should be like leading this guy should be like doing action films this guy should be in more stuff not just tyler perry stuff you know mm-hmm. who that actor was uh, oh i i already know idris elba yep black the... american audiences knew of idris elba unless you watched the wire you had no idea who idris elba was that's how i black, knew who he was about the black wire. american audiences knew about idris elba having never seen an episode of the wire going like oh that that guy's great. Oh, he's really he was amazing in Daddy's Little Girls. His performance made me cry. Mm-hmm. Right? Is what people were telling me, right? That movie mm-hmm. was a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And and uh and then like no one I never hear anyone talk about him until surprise surprise uh Luther gets oh, on Netflix in like that. 2010, sure. 2011, yeah. right? And then everyone's like, "Oh my god, this guy's amazing." And then, you know, he gets cast as Hemdall and Thor, and the rest is history. I have right? to, I'm sorry, I have to bring up one thing. I learned about him because my dad watched The Wire, so I was like, oh, okay, I like, kind of recognized him. And then Luther, before it came on Netflix, it was on TV occasionally because either BBC America would play it or BBC had a deal with AMC and they'd play it. And I watched Luther really early on, and I, the moment I saw Luther, I'm like, Oh my God, this man is amazing and needs to be in more things. So I, I had that, but much later. And thank God for Luther, and thank God for my dad liking Luther, the show. Folks, if you haven't seen Luther, watch it immediately and watch the Netflix original movie Second Son. He did, uh, love but, it but, too. But point point was was that this this happened constantly, right? Mm-hmm. This, this happened over and over again, and eventually, you know, eventually, uh, fortunately, I would say. That's not really the case anymore. Not as um, much. Obviously, there, there there's still some division, but it's not as bad as it was even in the late 2010s, like I stated earlier in this podcast. Uh, now, like Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith there's a new generation. Lakeith Stanfield is an actor, as a prominent actor because it's changed. Yeah. Now, now we, like, there's so many, this is hilarious. There's so many actors that are, that are now rising through the ranks in, in like mainstream consciousness where even again to, to my two black best friends, I'll go like, Oh, she was really good at this. And they'll be like, dude, she was in the, the sitcom that be on the BET. She's great. She's hilarious. My, my, my best friend introduced me to Tracy Ellis Ross's famous sitcom produced by Kelsey Grammer called girlfriends. I was obsessed with that show. And I was like, Oh my God, this woman's so funny. This woman's so fucking funny. And I was always like, how does nobody know who she is? You know, she was just regulated to like, after Girlfriends ended, she was just regulated to like making like Tyler Perry movies. And then thank God she got on Blackish. And now she, she's like a solid, solid, like B list actor. She went from like almost unknown to mainstream audiences to now like people recognize her and like, Oh, she's so funny. 
and it's well deserved well deserved but point being is that 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 division's gone but again that problem of like okay it's gone but now this audiences are kind of like wanting us to do this type of movie that you know we're just not really in the mood of making right Mm -hmm. like you know i i it's interesting i remember when we saw the haunted mansion yes right Mm -hmm. we saw the haunted mansion and i remember thinking to myself like this guy made hair before this and then he made a movie that was very very much about race called dear white people mm-hmm. and i thought to myself like at least with dear white people that wasn't him being forced to like tell a story he didn't want to tell he obviously wanted it. he made that his directorial debut but he also still wants to make stuff that's just about ghosts scaring people mm-hmm. and and you know this guy succeeded in that i mean even Spike Spike Lee is always the one that like oh he always wants to make quote unquote the message movie right mm-hmm. like has people seen Inside Man yeah or or, or what's the other one called the Thirteenth Hour the Eleventh Hour the Twenty Fifth Hour the Twenty Fifth Hour right or or shit he made the Old Boy remake yeah right right even Spike Lee sometimes like nah I just want to do some crazy shit yeah um but anyway so let's talk about what this movie has to say about that kind of phenomenon let's watch the trailer and then how about we start giving our thoughts on the movie. I think that sounds like a great idea. How did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda, girl, you be pregnant again? Mm-hmm. If I is, Ray Ray is gonna be a real father this time around. Thank you. Your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean. Look at what they publish. Look at what they expect us to write. I just want to rub their noses in it. (laughs) I'd be standing outside in the night. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack. You said you wanted black stuff. That's... Black, right? I see what you're doing. We sold a book. No. We believe Mr. Lee has written a bestseller. It's a joke. The most lucrative joke you've ever told. Now, is Stag a pseudonym? Yeah. Mr. Lee can't use his real name. Is this based on your actual life? Yeah, you think some bitch-ass college boy can come up with that shit? No, no. No, I don't. (laughs) Can I ask what you were in for? Was a murder? Yeah, you said that, not me. They ran 300,000 copies. Your books changed people's lives. They're offering $4 million for the movie rights. Yes! The dumber I behave, the richer I get. This has gone too far. Stag Arley is still on the run for authorities. You haven't done anything. It's not like they can arrest you. I could go back to not selling books. Is it bad to cater to people's tastes? People want to love you, Monk. You should let them love all of you. There's already so much buzz because of the movie deal. Michael B. Jordan is circling. We want to put him on the cover in one of those um, uh, scarves, I guess you would call them, tied around his head. A do-rag? Do-rag, that's it. Do-rag and a tank top with the muscles showing. Something called a fire department. (laughs) 
thinking we can get it out in time for Juneteenth. Okay, so oh, I'm sorry, yeah. folks. You may have heard me like laughing a little bit because, oh my god, fuck <laughs> the trailer. There, there, gets there's so a, there's hard. a little joke at the end of the trailer where they say like coming out on Juneteenth, and then it goes like no December because the film came out in December. <laughs> I know it's so fucking funny. Uh, so, oh my god. So one thing I want to say though, one thing I, I feel is Christ. really important to say is yes. that the trailer almost exclusively focuses on one half of the film, which is basically a satire of this. Uh, of this, you know, like middle, like upper middle class background uh, college professor named Thelonious Ellison, but everyone just calls him Monk, uh, who is this college professor. Uh, you know, he's from Boston. Uh, he teaches, I believe, in some sort of university, some private college. In they Cal- never Cal- make that fully Cal- clear. Cal- but it is in L.A., I think. Yes. Uh, he's a writer. Everyone else in his family, like his father, his his uh, sister and his brother are all doctors. So he came from a family of doctors and became a college professor, but really and truly a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's this, you know, up guy, upper middle class, you know, he, his life is basically how, like, even though his family was sort of affluent and never suffered economically, they still had their problems. And, you know, it's, it's a family drama that's kind of unraveling those problems, unraveling grief. You know, a member of his family dies. Well, his father dies years before the start of the film. Another family member of his dies. Another one is going through dementia. And the final one is an alcoholic who just came out as gay. So he's having a bit of trouble with his family. And uh, uh, he also maybe is finding love again. So that is one half of the movie, right, that the trailer does not talk about at all. Right. That being said, that part element of the movie is as strong as what the trailer showed, which is this this biting satire on how liberal white audiences demand a very specific type of story from black writers, black filmmakers that they might not necessarily want to tell. They might want to tell something else. So when they do attempt this to get pigeonholed and tell that type of story, it's a satire how like they just eat it up, even though it's literal garbage. And well, there, there's even an amazing scene where, uh, in the trailer, it shows he's talking to this big publisher uh, on the phone, and at one point, as his persona, he says, "Yeah, I'm sure uh, white women in the Hamptons are gonna love to read it on the beach, or on on their porch, or something like that." And the, without thinking, the uh, the the liter- the big time literary agent goes, "Oh yes, we will. I mean, they will." It's just such a subtle dig at that. That's so now, perfect. Now, make no mistake. If the trailer made you laugh, yeah, that element of the film is going to make you laugh so hard. Mm-hmm. You, Jeffrey Wright, is hilarious as Monk Ellison hilarious the trailer said that this is the best performance of of jeffrey wright's career i don't know about that he has a lot a lot of great performances under his belt by far though this is his funniest well what's amazing is and so you talk about how you talk about how there's an element of this movie that no one sees in the trailer which you you brought up aptly and it's what makes you realize that only jeffrey wright could have played this role no one else could have done it because we knew he could pull off the more serious tones of the movie. We've seen him do that time and time again. What we didn't know 
is that he's really fucking funny. Like, we didn't know that. Because, you know, he's this very much this serious actor with a capital A and a capital R at the end on both ends. You know, he just, he plays these very deep brooding roles sometimes uh, who are going through deep emotional uh, quarrel. So we don't know that he can be funny. We didn't know. And it turns out he did. And that's even a better analogy for what this movie's trying to say as well which is what really works, is that this movie does something you don't expect and Jeffrey Wright does something you don't expect. Exactly. I, 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 got, I got to say, the satirical elements in this film are biting. They're, they're right on target. And boy, is it an important thing that needs to be said that sometimes pigeonholing people, even if you think it's for a good reason, is, is never a good idea. Let, let the stories they want to tell be fruitful, be, be told. That being said... I, I can't lie. My absolute favorite part of this film was the family drama story, the intimate family story. Mm-hmm. That hit home because it it's this thing of like, it's this thing of like, it's so authentic. It felt so real. This, is, this was a family that was like, yeah, from the outside, they look well off. They have a vacation home on the beach. Uh, they, they all got MDs or PhDs. They're all doctors in some weird way. They all turned out great. But then you realize, like, no, they, they all have their own traumas, their own unresolved issues with their parents. Uh, they're, I mean, for God's sakes, one of them just came out as gay in middle age. Mm-hmm. And this story felt so real and so authentic, partnered with this little romance uh, Monk is trying to have with a neighbor of, of his parents' beach house. It just felt so rich, so real, so, so authentic. I, I have to stress, it felt so authentic mm-hmm. that... This was, take the satire aside, it's just a, a story about a family that's dealing with grief and trying to resolve the issues that never really got resolved because everyone was like, oh, well, you know, I make okay money. Uh, I, I got my degree. I'm successful. There's no need to bring up the stuff that's kind of been haunting us since we were teenagers. Mm-hmm. It felt so authentic and so real. And everyone, everyone, Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, Sterling K. Brown, and... Um, and uh, Leslie Uggams, they all bring their A-game to that intimate story that really and truly, like, yes, you come for the satire, but you stay for the heartwarming family story. You really do. I, I can't stress that enough. It's, It really warmed my heart. It's, one, it, it's a feel-good element because, yeah, the ending can be a little bittersweet, but the fact that it's that the that there's, like, closure amongst the, the surviving family members, I feel like, is, is something that I'm sorry – uh, uh, the director Cord Jefferson just pulled off masterfully. He really, really did. Because for a debut too, it's incredible. Because here's it the really thing: is. you 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 want to know what that this family felt so real to me, and this is a black family, and there are black families like that in America. And I really do feel like in a in a strange way, Cord Jefferson told a a story of of a black of a of a type of black family that's kind of underrepresented in media, the you know upper middle class successful but successful like economically but you know everyone always has their problems right mm-hmm. and yeah and this also because usually you only see this kind of family portrayed in admittedly certain tyler perry movies not all of them but some of them or some of the shows that he does too uh like didn't he do he did some he does some soap operas where it's like they're upper middle class but the problems they're dealing with are kind of not realistic so to speak um, and it was really nice to see 
these honest family problems. Because that's the thing. A lot of times people say like, oh, who cares about the problems of the rich, right? But it's like this movie never goes in like, oh, their problems are so much more important than all the issues America is going through. No. It's always like this family has has these unresolved traumas and they're trying to resolve them. Yeah, they, they're they okay financially, but it's still important that they deal with this stuff to, to be healthier and to be happier, right? Mm-hmm. So that movie, never it never took it to like – because I've seen some movies, <coughs> Garden State, uh, where – the 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 problem Ugh. of of upper middle class people is so important everything else is not important to this thing and you're like dude you're just mad at your dad yeah. like this movie is able to t- is able to walk that line where like yes this means a lot to the characters but the movie never makes it hyperbolic to the point where you're like this this is just unreasonable Did, does that make sense what i'm saying see no it really does it really really does i for me i it took me a second to realize what the movie was doing because I can't lie when the movie reveals its first intense moment, it's jarring at first, but you accept that the movies that that's the intention a little bit. Uh, but then it treats it like any other family would treat it. You know, it handles the situation aptly and accordingly. And you quickly realize that it goes back and forth between what the trailer is talking about. And then the personal dealings, uh, of the family and for a second I was like oh how are they going to pull this off and then I realized well maybe I should stop asking that question and just see if they do and they did that's what's so amazing about this there's actually one thing I got from this that, and it's it was done right okay because I compared another movie to to this kind of director's work but in a negative way and I think this is a positive way this handled, this did such an interesting Woody Allen approach to the more dramatic. This was such a Woody Allen movie in, in a good way, though. Oh, like yeah. It, I totally see what you're talking about. Because it, it, it has a bit of a, a satirical element to it, but then it becomes honest with the family drama or honest with the personal relationships. And I have not seen a modern movie get it right like a Woody Allen movie sense American fiction that I can think of not in such a perfect way yes you have and to be clear yes you have Alexander Payne movies but he's going on a different vibe entirely that's not that's not what Woody Allen did okay what, what? this is she uh, sorry I know how that came off um no but, no go but, ahead go ahead but like what what these what this movie does is it manages to it throws you punch after punch after punch, and then you realize, oh, this movie's a pendulum swinging perfectly, perfectly. As a, as a family, as he deals with something in the family, something happens in the world of the book that he's writing, and then it's back and forth and back and forth, and he has to just decide. He doesn't. You realize he doesn't get to have it all. He has to decide which one he's gonna handle better. And he then later regrets the choice in certain ways. Or, but he, he doesn't even regret the choice. He lives with the choice. And that's what's fascinating. That's really what's fascinating. Like, you, you almost wonder, like, how is he going to pull it off? And then he doesn't really, but he kind of does. And you're like, oh, that's how real life works. You do and you don't. Yeah. No, totally agree. Now, I'm glad we talked a lot about the, the, the family drama half of the movie. Yeah. The satire half is so fucking funny. <laughs> Oh, and so on point. It's... it's so on point. And you know what? 
But it's brilliant it, in the subtlety of it. There's subtle things in yeah, it. Yeah, really, it never overplays it, its hand. No, it's ever. Really, but like, so there's a scene. My favorite, my favorite subtle moment of the movie is when, and actually, you see it in the trailer, when he goes and has to play Stag, the the persona, to this like white Hollywood producer, and he, without even anything going on, the the white Hollywood producer comes up and decides to like hug him and and and, and like you know give yeah. him a dap uh, you know give him a hug as give him the, the give him the back tap yeah the yeah, back yeah. tap in the way that you clearly think that this white producer thinks all black people interact with each other so he's like hey man bring it in and he does it and <laughs> Jeffrey Wright's character is so uncomfortable during that <laughs> moment but what's really funny is he does this like really awkward half back pat <laughs> where he just raises his arm a little bit and then puts it back down for just a moment without... But what's important is he moves the arm as a single joint. He doesn't move his elbow at all. And his hand is spread open so fucking wide. And it's just this funny... Like, he comes in and he raises his arm and puts it back down because you realize, like, oh, this character never has never done that. Or not really. Like, that's not how he interacts. But he just sort of does the awkward moment. And it's just so effortlessly funny i what what i love about the film is about its satire is is the simple fact that it's such a condemnation title sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry it's such a condemnation on like so he's been writing a ton of books that just don't really sell and you know his agent pretty much tells him play played perfectly by uh uh john ortiz uh, his agent just tells him they want you to write a black book, and he just goes, "Well, I'm black, and it's my book." <laughs> and he says, "You know what I mean." And it's it's that that interaction where his where where it's what's not said, where his his agent's like, "Dude, they want you to write a, a struggle slash hood book. That's what they want. That's what that's oh, what white people want." Right? And that's that's I'm sorry, but that's also really well told when he asks his own name at the Barnes and Noble. And he's looking in the uh, fantasy, was it fantasy section? Yeah, it was fantasy. He looked in fantasy. He's like, do you have any books by, and he mentions his own name. Thelonious Thelonious Ellison, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like this teenager looks it up. He's like, oh, this way. And it's in black literature. And you see him, it just cuts. And he's holding all of his own books and forcing them in the fantasy section. And he's like, sir, we can't. He's like, don't worry about it. He's just taking all of his own books. It's just such a great moment to express his anger towards it. What's so succulent is... You know w- w- what's not being said, right? Because the the movie could be so in your face about like this is this is its own form of discrimination too. The movie never does that. No. The movie the what the movie does so smartly is like it revels in you kind of going like that's a little dumb, and then it just moves on, right? Yeah, it moves on, and you're like, like why, okay, why is this still a thing? That's what it is. Why is this still a thing? That's what right. It's asking. Uh, the movie and, and that's the thing with satire. It's so easy to go overboard. Like, like if, if you watch early seasons of South Park, you can see where Man Trey went overboard. It took it took them a couple seasons to really make that razor, like razor sharp satire where they knew exactly how to hit the target. But Court Jefferson, oh, my God, I I'm convinced he probably spent years just perfecting the screenplay because it could have very easily gone to like where the publisher, the film director the 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 marketing for the publisher they could have all have just been just giant 
like parodies that eventually you just go like okay that's that's too much that's that's too far that's that's not real right mm-hmm. but they never do they they're 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 it's hilarious because you're like this could be a real person well this it captures genuinely... the it captures the homogeny of the effect almost it's like it's these little things these people do it's never all it's never one person it's little things that they, and it's not even that they're doing it's little things that these people have decided to buy into but then they they portray an inauthentic face towards it and that's what that's what this movie's really good at capturing what, what I what I also really applaud the film for mm-hmm. was I'm not gonna really get into specifics on her character, but Issa Rae mm-hmm. plays a character that immediately the film frames as like, oh, she's kind of the she's she's kind of the 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 twisted mirror image of Jeffrey Wright's character, mm-hmm. the 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 sellout black author who writes these types of struggle slash hood books, right? And in the in the third act, the film does something really, really smart, where it it boils down to like, hey, I'm just trying to write what what speaks to me, right? And I love that because the 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 film could have easily have taken the cheap route of like, yeah, I know this is dumb, but I just want money, mm-hmm. and the film doesn't do that. And I really respect the film for that to be like, no, sometimes this subject matter speaks to the writer. Right. Mm-hmm. We may not agree with it. We might think like, oh, this is ju- this has just been done too many times. Mm-hmm. But if it speaks to you, it speaks to you. And I really, really like that the film included that because Core Jefferson could have easily been like everyone who writes these types of books or who makes this type of content. They're just they're just sellouts who just want the money because that's where it is. Mm-hmm. I really, really love that Issa Rae's character never, ever devolved to that. They do something really, really smart with her character that in a lesser film. Would have been like, yeah, just just straight up make her like the 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 make her the, the villain. Yeah, like even even going to as so far as to make her the villain. But I really 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 appreciated that. Um, I, I just uh, so I, I also sorry. No no go ahead go ahead. I there is so. This movie did something also very interesting where it. So you look at the family, okay. And you look at the mom, you look at the brother, and you look at you look at the you you look at the. So, I'm bringing this up for a reason. I promise. There is a I don't. Do, they have a maid with them. Was the maid live in? Did she live in the house? I was never clear on. That. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, she was played by. Uh, it was uh, Lorraine, played by Myra Lucretia Taylor. Yes, did a great job, and she initially is giving a performance that some would argue is slightly, and I emphasize slightly, playing into a certain um, stereotype, initially. But you realize what the movie does, and this is what, this is what, it does it with all these characters, but it decides, it, it, it adds a lot of depth to the character over time, but more specifically, it takes a character that has frankly been through various movies, books, art, everything, has been has been made fun of. Like even in and I love the original Tom and Jerry cartoon, but there is a you know, a character like that. The that the Mammy made, character. The, the Mammy the, character. The, the, the Mammy stereotype, yeah. It does. It, it plays into that stereotype. And I saw this and I again, this is what I loved about this movie. It was initially doing something that I was worried about, and then when I just let go, I'm like, oh, this movie's this movie's got it. Like let I need to be less nervous than the white people in the in the movie, and just let this movie do its thing. Um, 
But what I loved, and this just speaks to its depth of the, the movie's depth as a whole, is that it decides, you know what we're going to do with this character? We're going to give this character so much dignity, okay? Yeah. Not, n- and let me be clear, not like in your face, like wearing a cape type of thing, or like gives a speech moment kind of thing. No. We're going to give her an honest happy ending, because fuck everyone, fuck you guys, we're giving her a happy ending. And we're going to make her dignified. We're going to make her still care about the person she was working with. And it was just such this amazing moment because I was scared they were going to give her some kind of big, big monologue. And she has a monologue, but it's not big. But in that in these moments, you realize that she. You know what it is? They make her a human being. Yeah. And it's just like. I realize that's a big element of this movie is it takes care. It takes what you think is a certain way. And I don't even want to use the word subverts it. It humanizes all yeah. of it. It humanizes yeah. the whole <clears throat> fucking thing. Um, and there's even a line. So as you mentioned, Al, there's another character that where it's a possible love interest situation for, uh, for, for Jeffrey Wright's character. Monk. Yeah. For Monk. Yes. For Monk. And she's this doctor who lives in the neighboring house of their be- of their New England beach home. And there's a thing she says that I love when they're when they're starting to go on dates and they're getting together. They're walking along, and she's like, "Oh, I read one of your books. By the way, I like how you write women. They're really good. They're not shri- I think what would she use the shrill flowers or something? Yeah, shrill flowers. Shrill flower. They're not shrill flowers. And I'm like. Oh my God, what a great line and what a great way to show a character's knowledge of, of, of the literary world. Because yes, a lot of, she's pointing out that a lot of women in books me, and media and a lot of black women are portrayed a certain kind of way. And she's pointing out that Monk is already not doing that. And that's what's so amazing about it. What I absolutely adore about this film, and you make such a good point about it, C, is... The fact, again, it's these characters are humanized and because they are humanized and treated with dignity, with respect, even though they do some outrageous, the Sterling K. Brown's character is a very, very outrageous character, but he still has dignity. You know, he may not realize it, but he still has dignity. (laughs) It's that humanization of these characters where like I, I, I say this with all due respect, I ended up caring a lot about this. A family of three grown adults who have some unresolved issues with their with their dead dad who was a doctor. But, you know, they were they're like, again, it's like sort of like upper middle class people's problems. But I really did care about their problems because they were humans. They're human beings. And I think that was the ultimate point of the film was that, listen, no matter what, just remember that these are human beings and that what what attracts people, what attracts people to stories is when we when we create authentic human beings in our stories. And that I felt was the ultimate message of the film. I think it's a very, very good message because I'm sorry, folks, like no matter what color our skin, we're still human beings. Like I've like, see, you know this. I've, I've seen international cinema across the world, a really well movie, whether from India, Japan, China, uh, Iran, if I care about those people as human beings, I, I relate to them. I related to the protagonist of RRR. Like, that's a, a Telugu 
film, a Tollywood film, that's three hours long about 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 these two uh, revolutionary heroes who never met in real life, but in that movie they're besties. I cried in that movie. Oh my god. Oh, or or like um, or like uh, what was that? What was that? Uh, that that uh, that uh, Korean film that you told me you cried at because you really oh. related to the characters. Oh, um, um uh, came out in twenty twenty three. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, past lives. Past lives, right? Yeah. You you related to that, right? Because mm-hmm. they're human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, that's the thing, and I think that's kind of like the point of the film is like, doesn't matter what type of story you want to tell, as long as you treat these people with human beings, that's what should be important. That's that's how you, that's how you get people to, un- that's how you get people to understand the stories we want to tell. You know, like I loved Blue Beetle because. It, it was a very human story about a Mexican family that most people be like, oh, I can relate to that, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 these things are important. And I'm really glad that that was kind of ultimately the, the theme that the film was pushing. Because if you were to tell me, hey, Al, you're really, really going to like this this movie. What's it about? Well, half of it's about like this college professor and his two doctor siblings they're kind of dealing with the fact that their mom has dementia and kind of dealing with the fact that they never made peace with their dad who was also a doctor i'd be like that sounds so boring that sounds so trivial and just so kind of like rich people problems i i don't think i'll be interested and no this was one of the best films i've seen of of the year it really is the satire the satirical element really does help with that but like Core Jefferson, like I'm excited to see what he makes next because he knows how to develop and create characters. And that's hard to do, especially as a first time writer director, you know, like the fact of the matter is he really did outside of take the satirical elements away. Like he has no genre trappings or tropes to like hide any weaknesses in his writing in, you know. So like when he does make a genre, like if he makes a Western or a, or a horror film, He's still going to be able to have that ability to create really, really well-rounded and authentic characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, well said, Al. Genuinely, well said. Um, I, I do want to, I do want to mention about the. Can we talk about the ending? The oh movie? yes, yes. Spoiler alert, people. But we're going to get pretty specific about the ending. Yeah. So, uh, the the trailer kind of alludes to this, actually, but. This uh, his book that he wrote under the pseudonym Stag uh, has a movie deal and a very 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 lucrative one at that. Now the producer he's working with, which is the one he meets in the restaurant, um, he he basically he he's working he's working everything while dealing with the family element and while trying grip grappling with what's happening to him. Uh, with the amount of money that's involved, because it's really life-changing money is being involved now. Um, he's grappling with what to do and how to handle everything. And I will—I don't want to give away the ending of the family element. That you, you folks, you got to go see that in the, the in theaters. It's in theaters still, I think. Check it out if you can. If not, as soon as it ends up on streaming, right away, watch it. I don't want to give that part away, but the the family element ends how it ends, and. He is now talking about the ending of the movie they're going to do based on his book. Um, 
to this producer, the same producer, and you quickly realize that is this is obviously an analogy for how you're supposed to potentially feel about the ending of the movie we're watching. But it's, it's, it's unclear because you realize the lines are blurring between what he wrote, what we're watching, and what actually happened. Um, needless to say, the producer isn't really satisfied with an ambivalent ending, and uh, Monk sort of sighs and gives this... And keep in mind, any ending they pitch, you kind of see as well. And I know I'm being a little vague here, uh, but you see reenacted. And the ending he then goes with is the most over-the-top, dr dramatic, crazy uh ending that ends with his character dying basically becoming a literal martyr becoming a literal martyr and of course the producer falls in love with that shit like just gushes over it and he like gets super pumped over it and you can see monk's disappointment that that's what he wants to do but at the end of the day he's made his choices and he's sold, he's made his money so he leaves he's walking off set and oh one other thing the set they're on is for another movie that this producer is making, uh, which is basically a struggle movie with ghosts, so to speak. It's a it's a it's a struggle horror movie, basically. Um, it's actually I swear to God, it's making fun of another movie that came out called Antebellum. But maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm reaching. There, um, there, Antebellum deserves all the scorn it got. It yeah. really does. No, I know. I know. I agree with you on that. I feel like it's referencing that. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's a Plantation South horror movie. So not not that that can't ever be done right, but I feel like it was taking a dig at that. But he leaves, and his brother picks him up in this nice new car that is implied that was bought with the money that he made from selling the rights. He gets in the car. He sits down and they're talking about he he's like upset about like where the movie's going and he kind of admits like what happened with the potential love life he had and now that's not really going so great and his brother kind of tries to cheer him up but says hey listen you're rich now like like don't worry about it it's kind of a facetious thing he says but it's it's honestly taken that way monk is not made feel is not made to feel better by it but then there's an amazing shot. Now, let me be clear. Barbie may have had the best line of uh, final line in a movie in 2023, but American fiction had the best final shot. Okay. Monk is sitting there and he sees an actor who is dressed up as a slave. Okay. And he looks at this actor and he's the, the, the actor's like in his twenties, maybe. And the actor is dressed as a slave but he's watching some sort of video on his phone, on his cell phone, whatever. We don't even see the video. It's something he's watching something on his cell phone and he's sitting there under, and he's, I think he's under some shade too. He's very comfortable, but he's dressed as a slave and Monk looks at him and looks at this kid dressed, dressed in this way, watching on his cell phone. And the actor looks up at him, nods, smiles a little bit and gives him a quick peace sign and Monk just sort of like smiles, at, or not even smiles, Monk just like looks, doesn't even nod, I think. Maybe he nods. But then just sort of looks and sees that happen. But you see this actor dressed like a slave with his cell phone, relaxing, gives him the peace sign, and goes back to what he's doing, almost just to say, hi, and that's it. But that little shot speaks fucking volumes. 
in so many ways. And the moment I see it, and it's so fast too. I don't, I don't even know if everyone catches it, but it speaks such volumes to the movie and what it's saying as a whole and how like, in a way, you know, everyone's playing this game and who is this really hurting in certain ways if everyone continues to play along in this way and how it all is kind of dumb, but we're all kind of playing it. I just couldn't believe that they that the movie, not that I couldn't believe the movie was smart enough, I was rewarded with how smart the movie ended in that way. I totally agree with everything you just said, see. It was, and I think I think what, what made it so like, like such a perfect coda to the film is yeah there's there's no there's no awkwardness over like oh black guy dressed as a slave there's no awkwardness there's no like overt like 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 winking and and nodding it's just like like yeah it is what it is but you know what can we do you know for good or ill right that's kind of the vibe for good or ill and yeah, Cord Jeffrey, but this like, movie is asking it as a question. I should say that that's what's yeah. really cool about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think Jeffrey Wright's going to get a nomination. He deserves it. He, <laughs> sorry, I got to go on that tangent for a second. Jeffrey Wright is overdue for an Oscar nomination. My God, folks, if you want to see some good shit, his first role he played Jean Michel Basquiat uh, in a really good biopic. Uh, in my opinion, a really good biopic. And he nails the role. And back, this is back when, again, we I was talking about how Will Smith and uh, Denzel Washington were playing everything. This is this That movie came out in that era. It's a miracle that he played Basquiat. I don't know how that happened, but thank God. Um, but, of course, check out Westworld. He's great in that. Um, he plays a lot of the... He's in the Daniel Craig James Bond movies a lot. He plays a fun character in that. But he's just been in so many... Oh, he's, he's Commissioner in Gordon Games. in The Batman. He's Commissioner Gordon in The Batman. He was in The Hunger Games. He played this brilliant... Uh, um, former tribute. Former tribute who designs the arenas. He played... He's always in these movies throughout the years. And he's always so fucking good. Um, like, he, he does exactly what you want him to do. Uh, so he's more than earned an Oscar nomination, um, like just as an acknowledgement of the career he's had, but genuinely in this role too, like this is a role he nailed so fucking well. Um, and like, if this does like, not that Jeffrey Wright's career is doing badly, but I, it just, it's, it, it gives him the just desserts that he's earned and I'll yeah, be very no. happy to see it. No, totally, totally agree. Uh, I'm excited for the next thing jo- Core Jefferson makes. Oh, this, yeah. this, this is, you, you know, it gets says overset a lot, but this is the most confident debut I've ever seen in a while. That's insane. I like in a while. Although like, I will say in this year, um, talk to me was a pretty impressive debut. I got to give credit there as well, but you're right about talk to me, but, but it, they're, it's I, they're I, two totally different movies. I know that. exactly. But here, here's the thing with talk to me movies. was that I, I'm still shocked that these like trashy YouTubers, <laughs> Made something so sophisticated and mature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm true. still shocked about that because we're not as surprised that Core Everson did this. I guess no, no, no. Core Everson. I've seen his Cor interviews, Everson. and this is this, he's such a well-spoken like artist that I'm like, dude, where have you been? Like, where, <laughs> where, where have you been? You, you're, you're, you're. He's oh, like I, I'm excited to see what he makes next. Like, if he tackles genre, oh, I'm so oh, excited. That'd be cool. 
Because because when you can get the human element right, the world's your oyster. Oh, so yeah. uh, how, how's about we give our review? Our review, see, what, what yes, do you give it? Our, we'll be giving our review. Let's give our rating. Um, our rating, yeah, our rating. Yes. You said a word a word earlier that I'm gonna go with here. Mm-hmm. This is a succulent flush. It really is. It's it's so rich and flavorful and complex. It's like a this movie's a fine fucking wine. Um, I only give it a flush instead of a fucks because um, it takes you a minute to get. It took me a minute to get on the movie's wavelength, um, and so for that reason, I and I think also because maybe the way you know it's not it, it's shot in a perfectly fine way the direction the directing and shot design isn't like it does the job it's good it's not like you know imma- immaculately stellar though so for other reasons like that this is a succulent flush mm. this to me is a satirical flush i this was one of the funniest movies i've seen all year probably the funniest i've seen i i can't think of anything funnier i, I really can't like, I can't think of any comedy I've seen that's been funnier than this. Well, this and Holdovers hit certain high moments, basically, in, in comedy. <clears throat> no, no. See, Holdovers is very, very funny. Like, very, very funny. Mm-hmm. But, I like, there were moments during American fiction where I, I just couldn't breathe. Like, yeah. but the, what Holdovers has over this is that Holdovers just has, like, a lot of high uh, high peaks that... um. Well, folks, that, listen to our Holdovers review if you want yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this one had like this one had had me like coughing trying to breathe. Mm. Uh, Jeffrey Wright's hilarious, but he's also very human, and that I I can't stress enough. This is a very human like take all the funny satirical stuff out, and you still have a very very human story that I I feel like too often we forget like hey you know we gotta care about our characters, and this movie really does care about its characters. Uh, yeah man give it a watch uh please 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 watch this yeah please please give it a watch it's it's so good it's so so good and and sterling k brown we haven't talked about him a lot but man is he funny in this oh he's He's funny in all the best ways it's a little it's it could be you could some like he's the most on the nose at times yeah 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 that that's the only reason i give this a flush was that he he was the most broad character and sometimes he was a little too broad but eventually, at by the third act, he be, he became a human again. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that was intentional. I was like, oh, you're playing him a bit too broad. I don't know if that's in the writing or if that's just how Sterling K. Brown was playing him. But then by the end, it was like, okay, okay, we have an actual human person, not just mm-hmm. like a like like sometimes he felt like he was coming from like a Judd Apatow comedy almost. You know what I mean? A little bit, a yeah. little bit. All right, so ah, uh, that's been our that's that's been American fiction. Please give it a watch. It's 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 a great movie. It really, really is. And Jeffrey yeah. Wright, I really hope you get nominated for Best Actor. And I uh, hope this gets Best uh, Adapted Screenplay as well. Oh, it should. It should. It if, really it, if it doesn't, to... like the the Oscars are the the Oscar noms are happening very very soon. And if this isn't an adapted screenplay, I'm gonna be pissed. Oh oh, here's here's something that'll make me really really mad. If oh, no. Saltburn gets Best oh, Screenplay, if Saltburns gets anything anything literally if saltburn gets anything i'm gonna be mad and i'm worried it's gonna get something and i'm mad already but this Mm. isn't about saltburn folks listen to our 80th episode where we catch you up on movies for that uh my opinions on that okay this has been what do you think i'm al and i'm c i was gonna say a line from the movie but i realized that that's gonna ruin a joke so yeah don't do it good night everybody (laughs) 